Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, educator, multi-instrumentalist from Brooklyn, New York, Eric White. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have an honorary guest with us, Mr. Eric Watt. Sir, thank you for joining us. Okay. Thank you. And it's why it, not what, but it's, you kind of, it's okay. I'm bad it's with okay. names. Everyone would tell you that. I butcher a no, lot. It's cool. <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't really, you didn't butcher it. You just, you know, what is like, my man Jeff Watts or White, uh, who I don't, it's not JJ Watt, the football guys. So you kind of almost sounded like you said Watt. Okay, I'm sorry. Nice to meet you, brother, and <laughs> I'm glad I could, uh, you know, have this conversation with you. Yeah. So, can you please give a short summary about yourself so the people can at least get up to date, and then we'll go more into that. Well, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, a very rough area for those that know Brooklyn, if you ever heard of Brownsville. So I almost feel... I was actually born in Brownsville. Wow. Well, yeah. We, 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 blood, we blood brothers then, because, uh, you know, so many great people, you know, people didn't grow up, make, make it past a certain place in life. I feel blessed that I can sit here and talk about a, somewhat, I guess you could call it a musical career, that was a, a dream in one sense, but it was my re- life's reality, considering my father was friends with Sonny Rollins and Miles Davis and Wilbur Ware and Jackie McLean and told me stories about being with Charlie Parker. And, uh, you know, at first when you hear that, you say, hmm. But my dad was that tight with those type of people to where Sonny was coming to our house in Brownsville in the projects. <laughs> Wilbur Ware, who played with Thelonious Monk on some of his greatest work, come to our house in the projects. So, you know, but I just, you know, uh, other than my my adventures into athletics, because uh, I grew up having been taken to performances of these men. I remember I remember meeting Miles Davis and actually talking to him in the bottom line. My dad used to always go to see Sonny Rollins and one time he drove his band to a concert and I was in the car. I used to always hang out with my dad. I used to like to go to the music events. I, you know, I didn't even really probably know it was a gig because, you know, I just would hang out with my dad, but this is some of the stuff he would do. And uh, I would... I, I had an aptitude for music, so I'll just say that. And when I, when I, and knowing as a child, I think one of the, the my blessings is as a young kid, 12, 13, 14, I was, a, I had the pleasure of being in the presence of some of the greatest African American men that have walked on this planet. And it's definitely in regards to meeting Miles Davis, you know, you know, as a kid, you know, you remember stuff clearly, like when you went to the movies and saw it. Planet of the Apes, or we went to see Shaft and all that stuff, you know. So going to be in a room with all these, everybody's dressed 
immaculate and your your father he's not the same guy in the house you know he's clean up your room do this and that he's on some total other energy that i'm like observing it is these brothers were so intellectually it's just amazing so that kind of led me to understand why if i'm going to play jazz i gotta really work hard so what did you find much you know Tenor saxophone. He plays the same horn that I'm playing. The that horn that, that. Okay. he's playing <laughs> was given to him by Sonny Rollins, and now I play. So, oh, you know, that's impressive. It's not. I, I mean, would so, say. <laughs> so let me guys. So one thing I did ask you before this is: so is that why you switched from the alto to the tenor? Because my father saw you perform years ago, and then when I played his album, he's like, he switched to tenor, and I'm like, oh. Wow, your dad is a very perceptive brother, and uh, and I told my friend, I said, you know, I um, I've been doing these podcasts. It's cool. I need to talk about my record. I need to enlighten people. But um, uh, that's one of the sore points of my life. And I'll say, when you asked me before we our last conversation, I told my man Mike, I said. This guy's going to be really interesting to talk to because he even gave me a, just a subtle question from the call. He says, I just want to ask you, when did you switch from alto to tenor? See, only very few people, few people know me as an alto player. And I just found, and because of you, I need to thank you, you know, because you said that, do you know I have a recording of me playing with the Queens Community Gospel Choir, a recording where I'm playing alto. In 1990. Okay. And it really still sounds amazing. So that was something that uh, I want to look digging into my my archive. But uh, what happened is this, brother. If I have to get serious. Let's I go. may have to take a drink. And this is a very... You hit me with the big haymaker. You, you Mike tyson me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you hit me upside the head. I had a plan, but you done uh, bust my skull with a right hook. So the plan goes out the window. But it's not, this is kind of serious. Hold on one second. Yes. Uh, I had to hydrate a little bit there. Oh, uh, brother, um, my father died in 1989. And uh, I was an alto player. My father had two saxophones. The one that I play now which Sonny gave him in another one. It was a super action, 80. You know, very good saxophone. So my father died uh, around 1991. My mother called me and said, uh, you should come get these saxophones here. Your dad would want you to have them. And I, I went and got them, you know. I didn't actually start playing tenor now to uh, 1992. I lost my job. I was working at Electric Records, ironically, working in the mailroom, but I had my own office. I met guys all the time up in the office walking around, Buster Rhymes, uh, Leaders of the New School. What's that guy? Grand Poobah. Uh, that building had a lot of record companies. Uh, Cold Chilling was there. I see Bismarcky coming in there. And uh, all these rappers from Queens and all those artists. 
But I lost that job behind something that was so phony and job, which is for another conversation. But it was the best thing that happened in my life. Because in 1992, a good friend of mine invited me to Japan. And he was living there now, a singer, a guy named Albert Lee, soul singer. They had a hit record out in 1986, 87, called Working Up a Sweat. So Capitol Records came out the same time as Najee's album and Freddie Jackson. Uh-huh. We were hearing it all, all over. Working Up a Sweat over you. <laughs> it was a big hit record. So, And my man, Glenn Chango Everett, Larry Marsden. Chango was the singer. I love him. That, that's a great brother. He has that name has those names have a lot to do with where I'm at too. I, I want to segue, but I'll just say that at some point we may I may talk about them. But uh, yeah, uh, so I switched to tenor. I decided to take the tenor with me to Japan because I was getting unemployment. I was able to still get the unemployment, not even being in New York. <clears throat> so um. I went to Japan and said, I'm going to practice the tenor and learn how to play tenor because now everything I learned on alto, I got to tr- change it over to another key. It's not the same. You don't press the same thing. You got to learn a whole nother system. So I basically used that over there and I wound up getting some gigs. What made me consider staying on it is that I got quite a few gigs in Japan. But when I, once they heard me on tenor, I never took the alto. So they looked at me as a tenor player. And it was a good thing to work out with them. And uh, actually, two of those guys are on a record with Roy Hargrove. Roy Hargrove has some album, I think it's called the Tokyo Session. But there's two Japanese guys that I played a bunch of gigs in 1992, July to August. And uh, I came back in October. But that's why I switched to tenor, man. And, uh, you know. Uh-huh. It, it it seemed like I, I was, <laughs> I started getting more calls in a weird kind of way for work as a tenor player as opposed to being an alto player. And it was my dad's horn. His name is engraved in it. So I feel like my dad is always with me no matter where I'm at on any part of the planet. I can't get around that. So sometimes I say, hey, Pop, you want to go to Thailand? <laughs> Hope you're ready for the weather because... Uh, that horn has been quite logged quite a few miles, brother. Uh, where were you mainly performing in Japan? Uh, there's a bunch of clubs. There's Shinjuku. There's a uh, the Pit Inn. It's got a giant picture of Elvin Jones. I got some videos of some of this stuff online. But yeah, Pit Inn Shibuya. I went to Mount Fuji. Uh, Yokohama. I've been to Japan twice. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, I like... And my first record, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know. Go, 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 my go, first, go, My first album is on a Japanese label called King Records. That, that's another story in itself. My first actual uh, offer contract, contractual offer to make a record. So, you know, but that's... Just wanted to say that because I was something was in my mind. Something else no, about okay. Japan. Tell me how you got that gig. How did you get signed up with King's Records? Oh, man. Uh, there was a club I used to play at called uh, Gaithers. So still on the corner of uh, Troy, and, Troy and Atlantic, something else now. But um, I used to run a jam session there with this guy on organ named Dan Kostelnik. And I used various drummers. Um, 
And he had a Japanese friend he met who like plays with organ. Guitar and organ are kind of like a combination. So uh, he starts bringing him to this gig. You know, it's every Monday. And uh, he really digs what's happening. And then some really good players were coming in there. Nicholas Payton, uh, Vincent Herring, Antonio Hart. A lot of cats would come play with me and he would see this. So he talked to, see, there was a time in this, on the, in the world of jazz, if you came to you came to New York and you were Japanese, you were basically like a scout. Like if you went to Africa looking for basketball players or soccer players, because when they meet you, they call back to Japan and tell, man, you got to hear this guy. You got to hear that guy. So the guy one day has me talking about Sonny Rollins to the guy, Dan. He, so Dan called me up and said, hey, man, you know, I got to ask you this because the guy told me, he says, he, he kept hearing you mention Sonny. So he said, I told him that Sonny's your godfather. So he said, well, you think Eric would be interested in doing a record? So, uh, sorry, somebody had called me. I just didn't Yeah, I said, yeah, I would be interested. Well, the first offer that he made me, I, I, was, I, was, I didn't like. You know, I just didn't like it. Uh, he wanted me to have like a, a record where a bunch of guys are guests. As opposed to an album where I got one song, three songs, you know, he wanted me to make an album with me with another sax player sitting in, like how we ran it, the, jam, the jam session. So I said, no, that's not, I want my own record with my name on it, with, you know, my picture on it. My. So about a year or two later, me and uh, asked me again when he says, this time it could be your record. So I said, cool. So knowing that, I remember I remember Sonny Rollins telling me, uh, if you ever need me for anything, man, just let me know when my father died because he kept he kept in touch. He would call and uh he made me know that, you know, just take do the right thing, but I'm I'm you can go you can call me if you need me for whatever, you know. So I asked him about coming to be part of the recording thing where, you know, take some photos, talk about my dad and uh he agreed to do that. He met them. There's some really great pictures of me with him at the day of the recording. And, uh, you know, he was, um, I did some of his music. The, album, the CD is not really available. Maybe it is, but it's called Godson. It's on King Records. It came out in 1997. So that was many moons ago. Okay. And Al Foster is on, oh, one question. Yeah. Al Foster is on drums and Rufus Reed is on bass. Those are two legends that I did that with. Mark Soskin on piano and Guillermo Franco, Shinobu Ito and Dan Costelli. I got to give them their props. Man. Well, you know. two things ago before I go into where I was going to lead from that. So Sonny but, became your godfather because your father was like that close with him. And he was always traveling with all these musicians and everything. You think that was the main motivational point of you getting out of Brownsville, staying focused and driving towards where you are now? Uh, well, I'll just say that um, when somebody like Sonny Rollins is calling you and talking to you, and most, most I can tell you so many different random times. <laughs> and so I was in California one day. It was seven degrees in New York. I'm walking around in shorts, chilling. My sister lives in Oakland. I would always go on my little tours to China come home, pay my rent, and then stay out. come home in December, January, February, I was staying in Oakland, California. So 
he called me one time. He was so concerned about the snow because he was cold. He said, man, how you making out in this snow? I said, man, I'm, I'm in California. I'm in the sun. He's like, man, I'm worrying about you. And you you already cool. I said, yeah. So uh, when a guy like that is calling you up, and he was your father's best friend, he came to the hospital every time you came there. Sonny Wiles was standing over him talking, talking to us. You know, I felt like with my dad passing away, and then one other thing I could say that happened that, uh, you know, some stuff like hap ever happened to you in your life, man, you know, it's like, to me, it's a sign. Uh, my dad couldn't talk and uh, when he was in the hospital and I was looking in his eyes. I'll never forget this. So he grabs my arm. You imagine somebody grab your arm and then he started fingering my arm like it was a saxophone just looked in my eyes and fingered his hand on my other arm like it was a, like he was playing a horn and just stared at me now i don't i think you know what he was trying to say here i sit brother you know i'll never forget that i don't really like talk about that a lot but that happened to me with him so when people were like what's your passion what's your you know i mean hey I can't, you know, it's not much more after that, man. I said, I'm going to have to deal with this music thing. Understood, understood. And I know you were saying that there were heavy hitters, legends on your album. Your current, I mean, the first one you're talking about. So we go yeah. to your latest release. Okay, Song of Hope. Mm. That has a right. lot of future talent on it. You had, yes. you know, Crocker on there. Amazing. You have the up-and-coming vocalist, Miss Joy on there. Right. Uh, she can sing. Right. Yeah, she can. Of course, you have the one drummer that I sadly admit is better than me, Jeff Watts on there. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you also I, played... I, yeah, yeah. So just how did you get that group together? What made you want to do it? From Eric Wheeler, from Donald, to all of them. Oh, man. What you what you're describing is like a whole series of my life life events. Each one of those persons, I got each one of those guys. I got stories. I don't want to eat up all the time, but Theo Croker, I meet. I'm trying to go from young to old. How huh? I know them. So when I tell you how I know them, to get the record done was 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 just a matter of we had to find a studio. And everybody, since we, nobody was working, just get there. They were getting paid, so it wasn't like no free thing, first of all. So um, I met Theo. I used to run a jam session at a club called Sweet Basil that changed to Sweet Rhythm. Art Blakey used to hang out there. There's records live at Sweet Basil. I used, I used to run a jam session there on Thursday nights. So when you get there, there's a group playing, and when the group finishes, I have I host a jam session. I go down there. This young guy's up there playing. It's Theo Croker. They sounded cool. Came off. We started talking. He told me he was on his way to Shanghai to play at a club called the House of Blues. They had these residencies where they would bring bands over there for three months at a time. And uh, I had already been to China, as I told you. Um, uh, I had... Um, my friend, when I went to, um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm mixing this up. Oh, let me stop. Theo comes over to um, China. 
And uh, I had already been there. So I told him what to do, what not to do. Be careful of this, be careful of that. I wound up going back over there doing one of my three or four month run gigs. And uh, Theo has decided to live there. And by him doing that, he played almost every day because they have clubs open every day. It's almost like living in Manhattan. So that's one thing. Donald, I met, he came to here, he came here from California. And I, before he got here, I hearing, was hearing about him, hearing about him. And uh, eventually we met and we played in Clifton Anderson's band briefly. And uh, he was just a great piano player, man, a beautiful guy. We got along great. We had done quite a few gigs, but I always played amazingly well with Donald. Um, Samara, she winds up getting on the record because of Mike Boone, who has a son, is 14, 15 on the record. You know, he, uh, I was gonna, I, re I was recording the song Fragile and uh, I decided to play it as an instrumental. And uh, after we recorded it, Mike said to me, I should, uh, check out his niece or his cousin singer he said you should you know he, he it wasn't even pertaining to fragile but he somehow mentioned her to me and i thought about it after i went home i said you know maybe you should let her sing it if you can get her get her to sing it you know because it actually has lyrics jeff i've been knowing for a long time man we're on a record with clifton anderson with kenny garrett and a guy named warren wolf donald vega bob crenshaw a bunch of people um we just always got along, man, and uh, always talked about recording. Because when I recorded on that track with him, it's called Mitsuru, uh, we had a nice little interaction on the drums and tenor, like you hear some on this record. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, you're leaving out some. Eric Wheeler been playing with me on, he's on all my last three records. Eric is just a real beautiful guy. Um, great bass player, very cool, low-key guy, and plays everything you could ask for when you're playing music, for sure, man. So I just basically started reaching out to them and told them about the date and the time and this and all the stuff. And uh, we all got there and we all made it happen, man. It was really a great day of music. Good album. Done in one sitting, one day? Yes. Nice. Wait, should The be girl came back and she came back to do some vocal but the music was all done. All that music was done on that day. Okay. Uh, just a random question because Mr. Warren Wolf came on the podcast before. Love him. I think he's uh -huh. another talent. How did you meet right, him? Right. He used to come to my session. He came when he came to New York. Thursday night was a really, there was a period in New York where that session was one of the best sessions because Roy Hargrove came practically every week. You can't. You want to see it. You want to hear Roy or some high level players. Or come to Sweet Rhythm on Thursday nights, and uh, a lot of people got to play with him, talk to him, be around him, and uh, we really miss Roy. He's missed, man. He's really missed because Roy would come hang out any night of the week. You could see Roy coming to sit in. So it's like in the world of jazz, it's like seeing Jordan coming to get up, pick, play a pickup game with you, or you know, LeBron just walked in. He, you see them sitting down. They got they. And they got their shoes. They putting on their they putting on their shoes for the game. The gang shoes, you know. So we miss Roy, man, because he would come in and the pot, the, the pot would the heat, the level of playing, the song choice, everything would be raised. I the mean, bar would be raised. I agree because that's assumed what I believe 
blues for or H is for on that track. Yes. Yeah, Donald, Donald wrote that for Roy. He, I mean, everybody got to, you know, there's videos of me on YouTube playing Roy coming to my gig. There's one gig, I'm in Paris. Eric Wise sitting in, in Paris. I, I, I was in Paris the same time as him, and I walked up on him, man. He, he was glad to see me. He invited me on his stage, man. It, it's a big honor for when you can go and join a guy like that out of the clear blue sky, man. And uh, I'll never forget, we were at one club checking out somebody, and this guy came in the club. I'm in French, this club, uh, Duc de Lombard in Paris. This guy comes in, man. Roy really sounded great tonight. I said, Roy, who? He said, Roy Hargrove. I said, Roy Hargrove is where? And uh, the guy told us, uh, the new morning. I said, uh -huh. I said, is that far? He said, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, okay. He said, no, but they finishing up in like 10 minutes. I said, I, I, that, 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 that's maybe you think they are. Roy is not getting off that stage, man. I know how he is, man. And sure enough, I got there. He was right there. And I walked up there and got to play with him. So, you know. Okay. That is also cool. I didn't get to play with Roy. Didn't get to play with half these guys. Unfortunately, they passed before my time. <laughs> right. One other thing, though. Say her name. Who wrote yeah. that one? You did? Who wrote that? Yes. So you are okay. You bring a lot of political movements into your music. I like that. Well, no, I just I uh that all evolved from uh not sitting around to write a song for her. I was always practicing my piano during the pandemic. You know, it was like uh wasn't any place to play. So you know, I, I wrote this. I was writing a melody one night. I was writing this melody and uh. I mean, I just kept remember seeing this girl's story on the TV, man. It just started just being, you know, then George Floyd. You know, I wasn't trying to really be political. I, I, I played this melody. I taped it into my phone. And then one day I was listening to this stuff in my phone. I heard it. I said, oh, yeah. That's all. And I started and I was started developing it more. And I maybe maybe at the point where I actually had it as a structure and every, everything, that story just kept come bombarding me. And I, I said, I got to name this song, Say Her Name, because that's all I was seeing on TV. I couldn't go out there and march and protest, but it'll be to remind people something, man, because that wasn't right. That's just such an injustice, man. You know? I don't try to get too political with my no, music. No, no, that's fair. If that's yeah, if I, I don't know how political it is, but it's the truth to me. you know. So People do like it, so I'm glad of that. <laughs> okay, and Sunset Park. Is that more of your Brooklyn <laughs> night upset at urban <laughs> cult, you know, urbanization happening when people no, no, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> that, that that's for the beautiful bonita of Sunset Park. That's the area where most of the Spanish people live. It's different areas, but that's Sunset Park is where a lot of beautiful ladies are, and a lot of good food and a lot of good music. It's really so. So that's really kind of for that community. Because I like playing that type of music. You hear the band, that's one of the smoking tracks on there. In my, in my, I like playing other cultural music. I like playing reggae. So I like playing, you know, Calypso. I had Calypso on my last record. So, you know, it's something just to add a little spice to the record. You know. mm -hmm. 
And Fur Live is actually the one that caught my most attention, to be honest on that. But you also have like uh-huh. everybody in the next generation of jazz performing on it. So that also was cool. Right, right. Like a so what, what, what was it about Fur Live that caught your imagination? What you saying? Because like you said, the solos, and then it's like you all did it like a jam session. And then out of the right. next solo, and then you guys would be playing backup. I don't know if you guys practiced that right. or you improvised it, but it was just like, it felt like a jam session. Right. And sadly... No. Yeah, you have to... Yeah. No, game, go game. No, I was just saying, that's one of my favorite types of jazz, where it's just spontaneous like that. Right. Well, the, the funny thing about Fur Live is that, that the writer, Chris Lowry, who just happens to be the brother of Wes Lowry, you don't know Wes, but these guys just... Uh, I don't know if you watch any television, but they just, they're the writers of the music for the, the sitcom, The Last OG. It just started last night, coming on every week. So Chris is the guy that wrote Fur Live. And uh, he let me hear this tape. We, was, we were talking all through the summer. We wanted, doing the record was done in October. So we had a, for maybe, I think I might have known, maybe July or August. So we just kept talking back and forth. And he said, yo, I got these tunes I want you to hear. Not thinking that I would record anything. And uh, he said, and so I started listening to Fur Live. I said, yo, wait a minute. Now, their version didn't have all those horns. Their version didn't have percussion. But it was just the sound of that groove and the horn, the horn melody. So is the melody. And uh, when I heard it, I said, man, I'd like to take this horn section that I'm thinking about into the studio and record this. Let Jeff, because Jeff is a great drummer outside of just jazz. He can play almost any kind of groove. He played with the uh, Ford Apaches. That's why I did Sunset Park Bonita. Because I said, there's no drummer I could hire unless I go get some cats from that community going to play better than Jeff. Being a brother. so that was a, And then I put my man Khalil on that. Khalil Bell. So, uh, no, for live, man, it just got this groove, man. And uh, just, I can, this describes Chris, how groovy he got a cat. Fur Live is his nickname. From that's like their homeboy thing, you know. I mean, you grew up with some cats, so his name is Fur Live. But it's a great song, a good groove, and uh, yeah, it's one of my favorites, man. Uh, well, everyone, you got to check out that album, "Song for Hope." It literally came out in September. Unfortunately, I don't think it's getting the press that it deserves. But that's a lot of jazz albums nowadays. Uh, yeah, I just, definitely. This should be getting a little bit more, as you say. It is number ten on the jazz charts in two weeks, but uh, it definitely should, man. But you know, uh, there's gonna be some things. I'm sure. I'm, I'm, you know, it really. It takes. Unfortunately, when something sounds that that different, I think it takes a minute for people really to get around hearing it. You know, it's like it's a little different. I think if you heard one song on the radio, you wouldn't equate it with the whole album. You know what I'm saying? It's, I different agree. kind of songs. I agree, but the Jazz Week charts is another one of those things that I have a love-hate thing for because it's like, right. if you get it I played too, yeah. in, what's it called? WBGO. It's that much more weighted right. than if some of these other areas. Yeah, yeah. And I know that's how True. all radio is, people. I understand the big markets. New York right. is number one, LA's number right. two. We go down the list, but it kind of, <laughs> right. in my opinion, ruins the charts. Here or there. Next yeah, thing right. I, did, I have right. to ask you about is so that whole thing on Robert Glasper. 
where he did not have a passport. Is that story true or is he just trolling? Man, please. That story is such old folklore. It's like when somebody, for me, to me in Brooklyn, that's like the story of somebody took a cymbal off a drum and slung it at Charlie Parker's head back in 19-something, 1930-something when he was young and he came and he came, he went back to Kansas City, and when he came back, he was bird. So I'm just saying that's a story. The Robert Glasper Grease story is basically Carlos McKinney, who was originally supposed to make Mike Gig, who played with Elvin Jones in the Jazz Machine. Uh, I had spoken to him about this gig in Greece before I even got it. Then I got it. I said, "You want to come with me?" He said, "Sure." Betty Carter, the great vocalist, Betty Carter died. And so she was supposed to work at the Blue Note the same time I was going to Greece. So when she died, they gave Elvin Jones his band the time that she now was supposed to be there. Therefore, Carlos could not go with me. So I had to find a replacement. And everybody that I called couldn't make it. Anthony Wanzi, I called a bunch of piano players. And it was just so weird that timing. Nobody was available. So this cat told me about this guy, Robert Glass. And uh, he's played him um, on a cassette. Back then, people had cassettes. I said, you got anything I can hear him or CD? And he put it on, and I heard it for about maybe a minute. And I was very impressed, man, very extremely impressed. So I said, yeah, give me that guy's number. So I call him up. How you doing? Eric Wyatt, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I got this gig. Now, hear me, as I say, I, I got this gig in Greece. Uh, these are the dates. Can you make it? He said, sure. What train do I take? <laughs> and I said, bro, I'm not talking about no train. I'm talking about Rome, Paris, the country, Greece. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, do you have a passport? He didn't have a passport. So, basically, uh, what 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 um did you think was not true or heard was, was did it really like what you were you what you were asking me he really thought that he, it was going to be like in new york like Greece, new york yeah he really <laughs> he, yeah he, yeah him and his boys i mean I, it just blew me away i had to i wanted him to document it because i tell the story but i heard through the grapevine i met people that told me the same story that he told that i said that he spoke about because he was green here. See, it's funny. Y'all see him now. I saw him perform see? a few weeks ago. Him no, no, Legacy. yeah, I was there too. You were? Right, right, okay. Oh, okay. Not, not a down one. Not okay, that one. But I'm just saying, see, the guy that y'all see is not the guy that I met and had known. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he did. He wasn't Robert Glass. Because I'm going to tell you, even when I took him over there, then was when I came back with the recordings and they heard him play. They were like, who is that? I said, Robert Glasper. And another thing I think I'm going to do, I'm going to put out some music from that actual last night of our first tour there. Because I got some music, man, from it, and it really sounds good. The, the solos are very long, but you get to hear, you get to really hear what kind of musician this guy was. See, we talk and laugh about Robert is, was very, way ahead of his time, man. You, I'm, not, I, I'm not hearing anybody do what he's done, what he did when he showed up. You know, they got a lot of new star players. I got recordings of him live at 19 years old. None of these cats is playing like this. And that's the honest to God's truth. 
So I'm just proud of him, man, because I knew he was special when I met him, uh, when I heard him play, you know, his energy and his his whole focus. He was really, he was a young cat, but he had a lot of information and he had his own slant to it. The, the main thing is he had his own, he changed the sound. He did something with the sound that most piano players didn't do. And he somehow morphed it into something with these drummers and the bass players that he played with to something that they actually created. And uh, he deserves what he gets, man. He, you know, he always was into rap. That's what's what's so funny because we did a rap song and uh, people laugh at him rapping and freestyling, but he was always not into being like that. So I, I laugh. It cracks me up because like I said, I knew him as another kind of guy. And so, I don't know if you saw there's a video where I snuck up on him behind in the blue note. No, and, I didn't uh, see that filmed one. His, yeah, filmed his reaction to him seeing me. So I'll, I'll let you I'll let you watch it and see it. But I hadn't seen him in a long time, man. So I got love for the brother, man. Mm-hmm. So question for you then, off this whole topic and everything. So what do you think is the problem with jazz nowadays? Hmm. Go. Be honest. Uh, <laughs> how much time you got? <laughs> What's the problem? Oh man, you know, when I grew up, and I'm sure possibly I'm not so much your age, but uh, I'm sure you've experienced, you know, like in any in any ex, ex any business of expertise where you have to be, uh, it's all about your skill. Or your knowledge. Jazz is the one music where once you get older, you get somewhat discarded unless you stay active, stay connected to the scene, the players. Because it's very easy to get uh, frustrated with how they're taking a lot of younger people to play jazz. And they know in their hearts, you don't really start really playing this music till you get into your mid-30s, 40s, even older, because that's when you have learned enough and lived enough life to express it through music. And jazz is one of the most expressive musics. So, you know, they need to kind of even the playing field, but it, it's hard to say that because it's based off a lot of things, man. Okay, People so this feel is where I'm going to disagree with you because I like that they push, uh, they give an opportunity to a lot of young people nowadays. Okay, now I agree with you. A lot of them don't have the skill set. They some of them are hyped. Some of them don't develop the way we want them. But that's like every athlete, athlete in the world, etc. Okay, yeah. So I just don't like how some people, and I understand it's also in other forms of music, take the whole market share. Right. So the older guy who's been around for forty years is taking all the gigs, all the concerts not really giving yeah. them the opportunity to the youth, which leads to it being not popular. Yeah. True. True. Uh, I, I'm, I'm speaking about the situation where the people that are movers and shakers that make these things happen, they've decided to take a concerted effort to promote a lot of younger people. Now, see, you want to lose the audience, give them something that you think should be heard, but they've already heard from the greatest that will ever do it. 
So you can't create a fake jazz star. So the, I have no problem with younger people. There's a 15-year-old on my album. Gifton Jelling recorded me when he was 19. Uh, Robert recorded me when he was 20. I don't have a problem with younger people getting gigs. It's just the level of player and the story that they're telling because this is a long history, historic music, you know, to, 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 to put somebody in the room that, you know, you want to promote because they night, they look, they got a nice look or, uh, you know, they suit, they wear a suit and tie all the time. You know, I, you know, it's gotta be, if it's going to be about jazz now, they do this with pop and hip hop. They got, you know, rappers, they jazz. And you, you got to have some kind of little bit of a, a bar to be, you know, up on. Because well, there's a lot of people that are playing well, but they don't really get out here and go for that. And, and I'm, I don't have a problem with people doing whatever they choose. But I'm just saying, sometimes you see something a little bit like, really? Uh-huh. This is the person that now is having this, platform and the stage and and I, how many things have you you know so gets a little 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 chippy okay so how am i gonna go at that now okay so <laughs> you say the greatest i've ever played okay don't you think that makes a glass ceiling for the, the form of music no 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 don't take it like that now, now there's going to be more greats but i'm talking about a language of if, you're talking about like jazz, right? Like, so you mean like Thelonious Monk? We're going to go from all the way, I don't know who you okay. want to start with. Well, right, Duke well, Ellington, right. all the way up to whoever you want yeah, to take Yeah, right, right, right. See, right. So, see, so if you're going to become that level, mm -hmm. your work has to increase in a massive way. Or like work, like if you're going to document, if you're going to try to like, if you're going to try to be Duke, you know, you, the only person that can even attempt to something like that is a person like Wenton because he has a facility to, for doing that. You know, I'm, to be a good jazz player, it's a lot of things you have to do that you might not get from winning a contest. Example. You know, it's a different, it's a, it's a life, the life factors, the life and the, the living of the music is not being shown any kind of respect in a certain way because really, this music is about how much knowledge you got on life, man. It's not about notes. You know, it's about sound. It's about tension. It's like I can bring you to tears. I can make you jump up out your seat, shake your ass, start clapping your hands. Music. I agree with that, but you understand that a lot of modern pop songs, and pop is what's dominating the main charts right now. We're sure. looking at the Billboard sure. charts. They have sure. catchy hooks, and they get people in. And they're within sure. four minutes. I don't sure. know many jazz artists that could capture an audience in four minutes and want them you, more. You're right. We, we, you win that battle. Okay. I mean, that's just, but, but, but I don't understand your point is to say, uh, what that, um, well, my point is, it's like, how should I put it? You got what you're saying. Okay. The people like Winton who is doing everything from big band to quintets. Right. And I know people don't like him. That's besides the point. I actually have nothing against the man, okay? So, right. how do you get someone like Winton to get onto the Billboard charts so that the mass general public want to see it? So you're not He's going to the Mecca of Birdland, the Mecca of Lincoln Center, mm -hmm. which holds, what, 2,000 people. Okay. I want it to be like... He's been on... Yeah, I think... 
His music has been on the charts. Wins Records always, they got their own label called Blue Engine. It's been on the Billboard charts recently, recently, within the past fifteen years. I'm not. I, I don't know. I don't know the last. I don't know his last release. Okay, that's all. I mean, you'd have to research that. But yeah, he's had his music. His music is accessible. I mean, you know, pe- people have a different. You know, I think it's a little hard for them to uh, embrace such a that big band thing. It just kind of looks, you know, sometimes to them. I guess unless you play an instrument, they don't. I don't a lot of think you know a lot of the people that walk around day to day listening to music they don't get to they don't they ain't going to get to no big band they can't get to a jazz quartet it's going to be trickier to get them to a big band they'll think about watching television you know it's just got that that show sound it's not sometimes it's music you need music to for different reasons and uh I just don't know but they, he's been on the charts man when's oh, been okay. on the charts so what would you change about the jazz scene right now? <laughs> so like we were talking about before, so I put you in charge of Summer Stage where right. you get to make the lineup. You get to do a whole two, three night special of jazz. What would you change? Right. I wouldn't change. Uh, I mean, first of all, I'd have to see what the previous programming it would be. But then I will say this, depending on how many nights I try to get, uh, I try to get a living cat from the real era, from the era that created that the music they everybody created. They, these, these, somebody that met or either played with one of them on each night with their own band, maybe, uh, but different at one time, one night, one group would be a guy that's a sax player. The next night a guy would be a piano player. Maybe the third night a guitar player or bass player, you know. So you can even like don't make it about the same people all the time or the same people that you write about in the press. Because there's a lot of people that could play well, man. You know, um, it's just like an uneven slate. Of course, I'd include the younger acts, and I'd include women-led band acts. I didn't. I'd, I'd make it more inclusive. I'd have a different thing for every night with three or four bands different age groups. I wouldn't tell you who to hire, but it would be have to be somebody of a reputable playing ability since you want to call this a jazz festival. You shouldn't water it down. And you could hire maybe if you want to hire a Latin band. I had, I'm not opposed to that. Even maybe in a reggae band, reggae jazz kind of thing. But, you know, it just should be more inclusive because I like, like the people that are booking some of these things. I don't know where they're getting their information or who... You know, who, who's deciding on who gets to play at these venues or concerts or whatever. It's really tricky. Unless you got somebody calling in your behalf, a manager, a lawyer, some kind of agent. Okay, that is fair. Uh, where do you think jazz will be in 10 years? Oh, boy. <laughs> if the way I'm seeing it at the Blue Note, they're going to be a lot more rappers calling themselves jazz uh, artists. <laughs> That's all I can say. So rap music is now going to fall. It's going to get its own little section in Juilliard. And, and well, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you know what? Hey, you laugh. Uh, that's looked upon as um, po- poetry and those. that's where, you know, see, the funny thing about our people, as you know, you know, growing up and when I grew up, they had music in the school. 
and I had already knew about Charlie Parker. I was playing Now's the Time when I was in seventh grade. And, and, and my, I will never get the music teacher. Uh, we were warming up in the band room. And I, everybody's, you can a bunch of, a bunch of 10 year old, 12, just blowing horns, right? They don't know how to really get the sound. But I'm over there, but I believe in that. So he looking at me like, hold on, where did you learn that? I said, well, I learned that at home, man. And I told him my dad played sax. So I got treated really well just from that as a kid. I'll never forget. But um, it's going to be weird, man. But I, I, I see rappers are starting to connect with bands. And uh, people like that, man. I'm sorry. I've been in the last... Actually, I emceed a show, and I don't know if you know, if you didn't find it. You know I'm in a rap video, right? No, I did I know not that, know that. That, that. that got by you that I'm in a rap video? Which rap video? Shot, at Ru shoot, shot at Rudy Van Gelders? You didn't see me? No. It's called Casa Overall. Oh, you know, he came on, too, before. He was one of my really? first episodes. Yeah. Well, I'm in a video with Costa. It's called I'm a King on Flu Note. No, I did not know that. And Costa yeah. is an interesting one, because, like, I told him on his show and everything. This guy made oh, yeah. a jazz song off a Drake song. And I right. saw him perform right. it at the Zinc Bar. And at first, I was like, how is he going to make this work? Because I didn't even know he was going to do yeah. that. And, yeah. He made it work, and then the bouncer at the time, I said, I never saw this place this full, and I think it was on a Wednesday or Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Casa's well-known. He's a two-time Grammy-named artist. Man. Oh, yeah. I know. Uh, he played drums on Carmen Lundy's album, and he's on uh, Terry Lynn Carrington's album called Social Science. Yes. Rapping. Rapping on He's a very interesting brother, and that's my man. She came on also. <laughs> No, but uh, I agree, man. I was, you're right. They're calling themselves rappers. Was he? No, he calls himself the backpack producer. Yes. Yeah, he's a backpack, but but Costa's a real dedicated jazz playing guy. No, he, he just legit play game. jazz as a drummer. Yeah, he played with me. I, he played with me on a couple of gigs. I like Casa. Um, but I just say if the direction is going as it is now, I remember when it wasn't like it is now. You, I'm pretty sure if you're from New York, you remember that as well. But now when I go to the Blue Note and I'm seeing rappers and I saw Common there with him. I never thought that. But the place was packed. People love it. And, uh, Wait, Common people like is that rapping music. at the Blue Note now? Huh? I missed that completely. Common I saw Common do all his year with Rasper. The night that I went there and made a video of him when I snuck up on him. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be surprised. I mean, they're still going to have maybe your Wynton Marsalis things and, you know, your orchestra things. and uh, But the clubs look like they're leaning very heavy toward who got a group, who got a, a band in here that can back a rapper, keep the people intrigued, buying drinks, and, you know, excited. Because it seems like the jazz from the musicians playing these standard songs that have been played it a million times it's, it's wearing it's, it's, it got a, it's got a shelf life I think I agree I really do I really do man how many I times play my do you hear music. 
I don't know, we'll say, like you said, now is the time. How many times do I need to hear that song in my life? Right. Okay. It's sad to say that, but, you know, if you don't write, create your own music, like I tried to do on my album, you know, uh, I don't know. It's a tricky line, man. Okay. A real tricky line. So what is something you tell all these artists when they're coming up, the young ones? Uh, make sure you check out cats that play your instrument that are older than you and have lived around and been seen, have seen some stuff that you haven't seen because it's really about acquiring knowledge and knowing, man. That's one of the big things. If you can learn the right information, then you can, whatever comes in your mind and your body about playing it, you can do it because you've gotten the right information. You can get the wrong information, man, and it's going to be a struggle, you know? It's going to be a struggle. It's not a, It's not an easy choice in life to play this art form. And, uh, you know, I wound up, as I said, I, it was kind of like thrust upon me because I, I knew, you know, I felt like if I got older and uh, wasn't a musician and I would hear musicians playing and knew what I had learned as a young guy, I would have felt like, man, these guys ain't playing that good, you know. But I realized I want to play. Instead of being a critic, let me participate and see what I could add to the... Because I knew jazz was going to be a very hard music to become... To try, and then, you know, I'll just say, when you first get start traveling, which I wound up doing to play jazz, it was in 1996. Uh, that was a whole other experience, going to Paris flying there and the whole thing and uh, playing with guys I never played with. Uh, that changes your mind and your life if you're about this music. I went to Japan. I said, um, when I was going, when I went to Japan and played tenor and the few gigs I played, uh, the way the Japanese people reacted to me, that was inspirational. Certain things triggered me to realize, man, you, you, you got something going on. Now, if you keep working on it, you can improve on it because you kind of already come from this lineage. You know, Sonny Rollins is calling you randomly all the time and all these musicians. So that was for me. So I, it, I had a serious thing. Everybody doesn't get a Sonny Rollins. So I just say, make sure you learn from somebody that's older and wiser because there's definitely something to be learned uh, from somebody that's a seasoned player that you know really plays really well but he's not recording. You don't see him play out that much. When you do see him play, he's always playing as, as excellent as he can, playing his own music. You know, just somebody that ain't getting all the pub, but you know is playing the hell out of that instrument that you play and knows something that you don't know. Okay. So what and is... One, seen... other thing, one other thing. One other, don't rush to be such a band leader in it be in charge yet, you know, pay your dues. Don't, uh, you see your friends, your age, this, this is the problem with school. You got all these guys the same age, but some guys are much more advanced than others. That's Glasper showing me, um, certain people are just more advanced. They don't need as much knowledge of playing as certain other people. They can, you always can get better. There's always something to learn, but don't rush to be the band leader. Because once you become the band leader, then you're basically saying, I'm 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 the main this this is my 
um, my thing. This is my group, my personality. You're, when you're the band leader, you kind of run it, show the show, you know. So you, that that takes time to develop. That's not get four years in class. You know, you can go from playing not that well to being really well in the four years if you practice the right stuff and study and keep developing and going to sessions. But to be these band, to see so many people with these records and being band leaders, I'm like, that's a bit much. Because see, at some point, if it was going to happen, it will. You don't got to make up some shit and push it out there. Like some people are recording so they can get be the band, be in charge of the group. And go get a CD release party well, and all that. You know. It's not even that. It's just sometimes, because I ran into this problem, you can't get a gig without right. having a release. Right. You can't get a release, really, without having a gig. Right. So it's like, uh... Yeah, but you should learn to play. If you're going to be the boss, learn to play at a certain level. That's my point. Dude. No, I agree with you 100% don't, on that. Don't, don't, don't short-sight the fact you need another year just... Going to sessions. So you can play a session so you develop a repertoire. This is the whole system. You start going to sessions. You go home and practice. You go to the sessions, develop you some kind of repertoire, and, and just build on sounding good at the session. When you get enough tunes you know you can do a show with, then you can go try to be the band leader. Because you're supposed to be developing some kind of repertoire or a sound of your group. You know what I'm saying? I agree, but this is where it's going to come out kind of messed up because... It isn't like back then. The rent is so high. This and that and all these factors. Sure, How long is the sure, guy sure. going to be able to move to New York to develop their sound to go? Yeah. That's. Well, well, that see that what you just talked about. I think those days are over, man. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That was, that was, that was, that's, that's yesteryear. <laughs> you yesteryear. Know, I don't uh, think that was 20 years ago. Like No, it was 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago? Okay. It was 20 years ago, because let me see, that would be what? Uh, 2000, what? Yeah, 2001. Three? No, that was when we had 9-11, so it was, it was a lot more going on. Way a lot more, but I'm saying, you know, maybe in the past five, five to six years, that's what I think, man. I that's a, yesteryear. But I had a friend. Moving here. Yeah. I had a friend like 10, no more than 10 years, so we're going to say 15 years ago, right? Who... Right. Went touring in New York City, played almost every single night, and made $23,000. Right. Where are you going to live in New York or the Northeast right. of America making $23,000? You're not. And so that's why I, I understand the old formula. I understand what you guys are coming yeah, from. It's I not just, working. It's, yeah. We, don't, we ain't got no disagreement there. It's, it's got it's a new thing happening now with the streaming. Once that streaming thing, it's all that's a whole new thing. So who knows where that goes? Because who thought that was what's going to happen? So when you say the future of jazz, yeah, I just know that some kind of way rappers because uh, see what 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 happens is now the young people that want to grow up to be into the music is seeing Glassboro, these other guys rapping on these songs with jazz musicians or whatever the the, the roots. You can best believe there's a young bunch of good brothers going to form a Roots crew. So these things are just going to re reenact. And, um, you know, we'll see, man. You know, I just know that uh, a lot of rappers have been, because of Common and certain guys, and uh, 
somebody I know that's coming out with a really big album. I, I can't say his name. He's got a lot of jazz on his record, man. More than you would expect. You know, so uh, we're going to see, man. Okay. Okay. And what is your dream? Actually, let's go to that. Okay. Get to the fun thing on this because I'm curious and I'm going to have to cut this one short soon. Okay. Because okay. you're one of those other people that if you gave me four hours to talk to, I would talk to you for four <laughs> hours. <laughs> so before uh, we go. I, I don't know. That's you know, a, that's a, I, that's I, 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 I normally reserve that for the ladies. but it's, oh, You don't forget you too, man. Okay. Before we go, though. <laughs> you know, we like to give a shout out. A show yeah, respects yeah. to the artists who came before us. <laughs> I'm going to tell you an instrument. And in your case, tell me who you would want to play. That instrument, okay? Sure. On drums. If I couldn't get Elvin Jones, it would be Jeff Watts. Hands down. I'm not gonna If I could play with Elvin, I'd, I'd play with Elvin. You know, I didn't get a chance, so I'm, you know. On bass. Hmm. I would say Paul Chambers, man. Paul Chambers. On piano. Arthur Rames. Arthur Rames. On trombone. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> wow. I like my man Sonda Sermon. I played with Clifton Anderson and Andre Murchison. But I really like Saunders. So he plays with me quite a bit. And, uh, I, I love that brother. That's my that's my dude, man. Okay. We'll throw a guitar in there. Would you wow, have a guitar okay. player or a vibe player? Arthur Rames again. Okay. Arthur Rames played piano, guitar, and saxophone. So he gets two... He gets both of those slots. I'm not sure how, if you're hip to him, but uh, that was another giant. Yeah, Arthur Rains, man. You gotta, you gotta. I should have, I should have gave you a Google for him, man. That's that's the guy that um I told you Chango when they had the hit song. He introduced me to Arthur Rains. Arthur Rains was a brilliant musician from Brooklyn. He played with Rashid Ali. He played with Steve Arrington's Hall of Fame. Nobody can be you but you. That's him playing a guitar on that. Uh. He was my mentor. He was with me the same year. I lost my father. I lost my dad in July, 89. I lost Arthur in 1989. And uh, when I lost both of them, it was like, those are the two biggest saxophone people in my life, other than Sonny. So I decided to dedicate playing to both of them, man. That's why I still play. You know, one of the reasons I still play, I'll say. Okay. To make sure I don't that their name live on through whether I, you know, I have a song called In the Spirit of Arthur. I got a song called Jolly Charlie. That's for my dad and In the Spirit of Arthur. So I try to keep their names and legacies alive, you know. Okay. And on trumpet. Wow. Definitely uh, Freddie Hubbard. Okay. But I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind my man Chris Lowry, who wrote Fur Live. <laughs> I might have to have two trumpets. <laughs> that's my guy too. That's my dude, man. 
Okay. Chris Lowry. Yes, sir. Fur Live, baby. So, sir, could you tell everyone your website, email address, how to reach you, et cetera? Yeah, my uh, website is ericwyatt-music.com. Like my phone on hyphen dash, you know. Uh, and my email is eric.wyatt, the number two, at Gmail. For bookings or any, you know, musical endeavors, private lessons, you know, I don't know. Okay. Well, sir, thank you for joining us. It means a lot. Thank you for having me, man. And everyone, this is Leanna from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.